The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to the Luma Sales Full Discretion Fund's quarterly update podcast, where the portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and the funds. My name is Erica Cassell, and today I'm joined by Brian Kennedy, one of the portfolio managers on the Full Discretion team. Uh, thanks for coming back, Brian. It's good to be here. Good to see you, Erica. Good to see you, too. Um, and we can dive right into it because I think, as listeners will know, we had a pretty eventful Q3, especially for fixed income markets. Um, we saw some pretty notable volatility, especially within the Treasury market as we closed out September. What do you think is causing some of that volatility? And do you think it's going to persist through the end of the year? Yeah, certainly a, um, a quarter where um, you know interest rates moved pretty significantly higher. And uh, I think there's a few things going on. Uh, I do think the market's starting to believe in the higher for longer narrative. Um, you know, I, I, I know the Fed's gotten inflation down from the peak uh, into the mid threes. The harder part will be getting it to 2%, and that may last for a period of time. So uh, I think that's tough. And so I think the market's kind of buying into this higher for longer narrative. The market's also building in some term premium back into the longer dated uh, Treasury market. And I think that that's something that we haven't seen for quite some time. Uh, probably the, the biggest issue, though, has been the, the Treasury refunding and just the size of the Treasury auctions. Um, what you've actually seen here is the, the price insensitive buyers of Treasuries have moved away from the market. And who was that? It's the Fed, uh, it's banks, uh, and it's foreign governments. And sometimes it's also uh, you know foreign commercial uh, companies as well, insurance companies, and the like. And uh, if you look at just the strength of the U.S. dollar, uh, if you buy Treasuries as a Japanese insurance company and hedge it back to yen, it's actually negative. Uh, it's actually a drag on your return. So a lot of those price insensitive buyers are stepping away from the market, and that leaves the more price sensitive buyers uh, to buy at this point in time. And who's that? Um, it's households, it's family offices, and it's asset managers. Um, and and you know people like ourselves, we we care a little bit more about the yield in, in there and what we're getting compensated for maybe than some of the the insensitive buyers would. So I do think that um, you know that's played a large part in this. Certainly, we're running a, a really large deficit at this point. I think it's close to two trillion dollars right now at close to full employment. And so uh, the size of these auctions has um, I think uh, caused the market to readjust what they feel like they need to get compensated in order to. Uh, to participate. Whether it lasts or not, um, if growth starts to falter in the U.S., and we have started to see some signs that we're seeing a little bit of a consumer spending slowdown the last couple of months, um, and if inflation continues to come down, we are likely to see the front-end yields move lower in here. Uh, So I I don't know that you're going to see a a massive parallel shift lower, but certainly um, those high front-end yields, as the market starts to accept that the Fed is truly on hold and the next move is a cut and it doesn't get pushed out again as it has the last couple of years, I think the front end of that yield curve starts to come down more significantly in the near future. Great. Thank you, Brian. And the last time we were together, the team was thinking that we were still in this this late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, recent data 
does seem to be showing that we're we're seeing a continuing kind of a slow slowing, but still a relatively resilient U.S. economy. Um, does this team still believe that we're in this late expansion phase today? Um, any notable indicators that you're watching? Um, yeah, we, we still think we're in the late stages of um, of the cycle. Uh, but I would say, you know, to your question, there are some signs that we are seeing a little bit of a slowdown in here. And certainly, again, I mentioned this earlier, consumer spending really starting to uh, show signs of slowing in September and October after a really strong summer. Thank you, Taylor Swift and, and Barbie. Uh, but uh, we are starting to see signs also that there's, um, you know, capital expenditure spending coming down as well. Uh, you had a, a, a huge outlay of, of stimulus in, in the CHIPS Act uh most recently, and we are starting to see some of that impact fade. Uh, we're seeing inventory start to build again. Airlines are mentioning that short-term bookings are weak. So we're still in this later stages of the expansion, but the slowdown appears to be more evident and imminent um, at this point in time. I don't think that means we're in for a deep, dark recession. If you had a recession, it's likely to be very mild at this point. Um, but um, we are still seeing some signs that uh, that things are, are starting to slow a little bit and that you're you're making your way into downturn. And if I think about from a, from a market perspective and a portfolio perspective, what are those signs? You, you are starting to see risk premiums that are more elevated at this point in time uh, from a, from a uh, corporate bond perspective. There's more dispersion in the high yield market today um, than there has been. Um, and then also dollar prices. Just look at dollar prices in a lot of these portfolios. Uh, the dollar prices on a lot of these bonds are down at levels that we typically uh, see only in downturn. So we are, um, I think, showing some signs of a, of a slowdown uh, in here right now. We're not ready to call for a recession yet, but we do think that your 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 probability of a recession is is growing at this point. Got it. So still something the team is definitely thinking about and and maybe even positioning for. But before we get into positioning, let's take a look at performance for for the third quarter. So again, to listeners, um, as a reminder, the full discretion team does manage a full lineup of products that range across risk return spectrum from more conservative core plus um, strategies to more yield and total return enhancing multi-sector products. Um, but starting on the, the lower end of the risk return spectrum with the Loomis Sales Investment grade bond fund. Um, so the Y share class of this fund was down like the rest of the market, but was down about 2.4%. But it outperformed both of its listed indices over that same three-month period. Both of those were closer to a d- down to a full 3%. Um, could you provide some color as far as what helped and hurt performance in the third quarter? Yeah. Um, thinking about the quarter and, and the year, um, as a whole, I think there's some themes that uh, cross over both. And yield advantage has been very important um, during the course of this year. And certainly, we saw that again uh, in the third quarter. So uh, areas like securitized, where we've had some CLO allocations and also allocations to shorter average life um, asset backs and um, and residential mortgages uh, played a, an important part in uh, excess return during the course of the quarter. We also started to see some of our highest conviction ideas uh, perform better on the uh, on the corporate side, uh, particularly um, for the uh, investment grade bond funds. Some of the investment grade corporate bonds in the energy space, so names like Continental Resources and EQT, as we continue to see really strong support uh, for the energy markets and commodity markets in here. Uh, on the high yield side, uh, two of our highest conviction ideas, uh, Dish Networks and Altice. 
um, both were strong contributors, and then the convertible side, uh, Dish Networks as well. So again, um, some of those really high conviction ideas that we've been talking about um, starting to show signs and uh, developing uh, better fundamentals, and so the market's starting to realize some of the value there. Um, you know, certainly on the negative side, anything that had duration was a, a detractor um, during the course of the quarter. So you know, anything we um, did that had um, you know duration, and we did have some futures on in the portfolio to help extend duration. We can talk a little bit more about that later, but um, you know, we do have a, a steepener on at this point in time. So we're really emphasizing the front end of the curve. So as I said earlier, with um, you know the potential for a slowdown in here. Um, you know, that front end may start to rally significantly. And so we are already starting to see the curve disinvert. Uh, you are starting to see the, the, the curve um, more normalized. It's not quite normal yet, but we are getting there. Um, but certainly uh, duration was the, the biggest detractor uh, during the course of the quarter. And, um, you know, not very often we see a move like we saw. So uh, it is starting to, um, to give us some an idea that maybe there's some value again in uh, in the treasury. All right, and now let's let's switch focus to the the Loomis bond fund and the strategic income fund, the two multi-sector products. And again, these portfolios do have that additional flexibility. Uh, versus the investment grade bond fund can invest meaningfully in areas like high yields or or non-dollar and even equities. Um, so using the bond fund as a proxy, this one was also down, but roughly uh, just under two percent, one point nine percent, outperforming. It's listed benchmark, the U.S. government credit index, which was down over 3%. What helped and hurt performance for for these products? Yeah, I would say similar to the investment-grade bond fund, um, some of the same themes for these two funds. Certainly the best ideas, those high-conviction ideas, DISH, Altice, uh, look even into the emerging market world, a name like Semex, which we really like, a cement producer in Mexico, which has, has had really strong pricing power, names like Rocket Mortgage, Uber, uh, all continue to perform really well uh, on the corporate side. Uh, again, on the securitized side, the ability to have CLOs in the portfolio, you have that front-end yield. It's really strong right now. Uh, aircraft leasing bonds, we continue to see demand uh, for aircraft around the world. And so um, another area that um, that helped outperform convertible bonds, again, DISH. Um, so again, more so in these funds, the best ideas, the high conviction ideas uh, will will stand out. And more yield advantage uh, in these products over the index than you'd find in the investment grade bond fund as well. So, um, you know, so I do think it's it's more of the same as far as the themes are concerned. S- good security selection, uh, and it, it's it's been brought out with some of those names that uh, that really outperformed. And again, the detractor was the, the treasury position, the futures position, um, as we moved closer to the benchmark duration during the course of the quarter. All right, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, specifically talking about duration positioning across both those portfolios. Of course, it was a detractor through the third quarter, but your team's been pretty favorable as far as adding duration slowly across the products throughout the better part of the past year. Um, are you still finding duration attractive, and and how are you building it in the portfolios? So we were very underweight duration. If I go back and think two years ago, the end of 2021, we were close to three years short what the benchmark duration was. And the benchmarks, both the GovCredit and the Ag, 
had extended uh, significantly just because of how low interest rates were. They were over seven years in duration. We just didn't feel comfortable being la- that long at that time, given our thought that inflation was not tr- transitory, uh, as the Fed was saying. We thought it was more systemic, and we've been proven right in that, uh, in, in that regard. What we've done is just covered uh, the vast majority of that underweight. So as of the end of September, we were um, you know, just close to about a, about a quarter of a year short still uh, the benchmark. So we've just covered uh, a lot of that under rate as rates have moved uh, so much higher in here. We've maintained that steepener position that I mentioned. So if I think about key rate duration buckets, we're very um, overweight in the twos, fives, and 10-year area, and then underweight 20s and 30s. So emphasizing the front end of the curve, which again, I think could be moving lower over time. Um, one of the reasons we've done the, this and covered the, the underweight to duration is we do think that we've reached a level of real rates in the U.S., which is historically on the restrictive side. You're close to 2.5% in, in, in real rates in, in the U.S. And so, um, you know, I, I do think the market's done some of the Fed's work for them in here. And if you think about a consumer spending slowdown in addition to a CapEx slowdown in rising inventories, uh, that likely means that growth is going to be challenged in the near term going forward. So we don't like to try and pick bottoms. We do think that there's value in the Treasury market uh, at this point. So we do think that we, it made some sense to to get close to um, to benchmark duration in here. As we see more signs uh, potentially of a slowdown, uh, we could possibly look to get longer duration. But for right now, uh, you know, we've just we've covered most of that underweight as a, um, a reaction to um, just the, the the dramatic rise in yields, but also um, the restrictive level of real rates in the U.S. and also what we think is potentially a growth slowdown. And taking a look beyond the U.S., you know, we've we have seen continued volatility. Um, in a number of markets, whether it be due to inflation, geopolitical risk. Um, But have you started to look abroad more in these portfolios for potential opportunities? Are you still more focused on on U.S.-based investment opportunities? Uh, We do have a a select group of emerging market um, holdings. Most of them are are dollar-based. Our non-dollar allocations less than 2% in bond and strategic income. The investment-grade bond fund cannot uh, buy uh, non-dollar in here. So we do have a few high-conviction ideas, uh, rising star candidates that we find attractive. You have to remember, the rest of the world has raised rates along with the U.S. um, to combat inflation. but right now, uh, we, I think the rest of the world is, is trying to really follow the U.S.'s lead. And they need to be careful about cutting rates prior to what the U.S. would do, uh, because that could be uh, pretty, pretty bad for their currency versus the U.S. dollar. If you think about the way the U.S. dollar is set up right now, you've, you've had growth, you've got a, a, an attractive level of real, real rates, and slowing inflation. And so it's very tough to keep up with the dollar right now. So we're keeping that non-dollar basket fairly small at this point in time, although we are seeing some opportunities. We do have an allocation to Mexico. Uh, we've, we've continued to see strong growth there and very low unemployment uh, and inflation uh, under control. And also in Brazil, where uh, Brazil inflation's peaked in here as well. And so we do think that both of those make some sense. Um, South Africa, Indonesia are a couple of other names um, that we've um, that we've added to as well. So there's a select basket of non-dollar areas that we feel like the currencies are fairly steady. You're getting some some strong carry. And again, go back to that yield advantage theme again uh, in here. So we do have a few ideas in the non-dollar space. But again, I do think that the combination of, of high real rates 
and growth and slowing inflation in the U.S. is tough to beat right now. So, um, you know, I did mention that we have some um, select high conviction names in EM, but they're all dollar based at, at this point in time. Um, you know, I, I think about an area like uh, like Asia and, and sp- specifically Japan, uh, you know, and, and the Bank of Japan has come out recently and, and has said that uh, they actually need a dovish Fed to help the yen. And so the rest of the world's really looking to the U.S., uh, and when the first U.S. rate cut's going to be before they start cutting rates, because I think you you do risk, and I think Indonesia did this recently, they raised rates just because of the raise um, in, in U.S. yields um, and just trying to keep the currency competitive with the dollar at this point. So um, I think the rest of the world at this point in time, a lot of it is waiting for the U.S. to make the next move before they do anything. Wow. All right. Thank you, Brian, for your thoughts there. And shifting now a little bit more to the the bottom-up security selection that I know your team is is really known for. Um, and you, your team incorporates six pillars of security selection at different times, depending on where we are in the credit cycle. It's the fallen angels, cheap for rating, upgrade candidates, stressed or de-stressed, avoid losers, and new issue premium themes. Um, what pillars are you are you finding the most interesting today? Yeah, I, I still think there's upgrade candidates in our portfolio that when we see weakness in the market, we're looking to to add to. I mentioned Uber earlier as a name um, that we still like. We still think that um, you know from a long-term perspective, that's an investment-grade company. They generate a ton of free cash flow. And so that's a name that I think we want to um, we want to continue to focus on. So we do still think that even with a slowing economy, there are bonds that can move uh, into the um, into the the investment grade space, the rising star category over time. Um, you know, if I think about the stressed and distressed area as well, you know, Dish Networks continues to be one of our highest conviction holdings uh, in the portfolio. Uh, they recently merged with EchoStar, another uh, satellite TV company. It's going to give them access to about almost two billion dollars in cash. Um, and so that should free them up to really pay off all of their bonds that are coming due in 2024. Um, and the market's starting to realize that and, and, and prices have, have started to appreciate in that capital structure. So I, I think that, um, you know, at this point in time, security selection is always important, but it becomes even more important when you start to head into a little bit of a slowdown in here. Thanks, Brian. And again, looking ahead and, and I guess looking back a little bit to performance this year, um, unfortunately, it, it seems like it's going to be another tough year for fixed income as we get closer to to you know end of December here. Um, how are you feeling about the the total return prospects for bond as we look forward? Yeah, um, I I am encouraged by a, a few things. One, we have yield again in the fixed income markets. This is a competitive marketplace when you're looking across asset classes. And so I, I am encouraged by that. High yield yields over 9% at this point with an $87 price if you look at the index. Uh, the investment grade market has a similar index and it's over 6% from a yield standpoint. So there's a tremendous amount of carry in there. Uh, but I, 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 I think I'm more excited about just the positive convexity of both of those markets. And when I, th- I think about the, the potential for bonds to continue to amortize closer to par uh, over time as they get closer to maturity, um, you, know, you do have total return potential baked in um, on both of, of those markets in here. And again, if we start to talk about a little bit of a slowdown in the U.S. Um, and it becomes more evident that the Fed may be looking to cut rates uh, in the near future, maybe the second half of next year, uh, you should also start to see some total return potential uh, just from, um, from duration as, as yield curves start to uh, normalize uh, in here. So um, you have positive convexity. You have a tremendous amount of yield 
in these markets. Security selection is always very important, um, but I do think that at this point in time, uh, you should expect that um, you know maybe the worst is over for the bond market in here, and we're starting to see some some um, some some rays of sunshine come through, and and, and potentially 2024 would be a year where we'll start to see some positive returns again in the bond market. Brian, thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts today. Um, and for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Loomis Sales Full Discretion Funds and about how Brian and his team run these strategies, please reach out to your Natixis wholesaler, or you could visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund as of September 30th, 2023. Class Y, three months, negative 2.39, year to date, 0.15, one year, 2.13, three years, negative 2.64, five years, 1.51, 10 years, 2.18, Class A, three months, negative 2.35, year to date, 0.07, one year, 1.98, three years, negative 2.85, five years, 1.28, 10 years, 1.93, Class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge, three months, negative 6.50, year to date, negative 4.21, one year, negative 2.33, three years, negative 4.26, five years, 0.40, 10 years, 1.49, standard performance as a percentage for the Loomis sales bond fund as of September 30th, 2023, retail class, three months, negative 1.98, year to date, 0.47, one year, 3.22, three years, negative 1.68, five years, negative 0.29, 10 years, 1.37, institutional class three months, negative 1.90, year to date, 0.66, one year, 3.47, three years, negative 1.42, five years, negative 0.05, 10 years, 1.62, top 10 holdings for the Loomis sales investment grade bond fund as of September 30th, 2023, U.S. Treasury notes, 4.625%, June 30th, 2025, 2.2% 2.2% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury bonds, 3.250%, May 15, 2042, 1.9% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury bonds, 2.250%, February 15, 2052, 1.2% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury bonds, 2.000%, November 15, 2041, 0.8% of portfolio, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, 4.125%, December 15, 2026, 0.7% of portfolio, Goldman Sachs Group, Inc., fixed rate to August 23, 2027, variable rate thereafter, 4.482%, August 23, 2028, 0.7% of portfolio, Glencore Funding LLC, 6.500%, October 6, 2033, 0.6% of portfolio, Bank of America Corp, fixed rate to September 15, 2033, variable rate thereafter, 5.872%, September 15, 2034, 0.6% of portfolio, Semex SAB DCV, 3.875%, July 11, 2031, 0.5% of portfolio, Frontier Issuer LLC, Series 2023-1, Class A2, 6.600%, August 20, 2053, 0.5% of portfolio, performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results, total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold, current performance may be lower or higher than quoted, for most recent month-end performance, visit im.natixis.com, performance for other share classes will be greater or less than shown based on differences in fees and sales charges, performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized, returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any, for the Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund, gross expense ratio 0.80%, Class A share, 0.55%, Class Y share, net expense ratio 0.74%, Class A share, 0.49%, Class Y share, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded, this arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2024, when an expense cap has not been exceeded, the 
gross and net expense ratios may be the same. For the Loomis Sales Bond Fund, gross expense ratio 0.93%, retail class, 0.68%, institutional class, net expense ratio 0.91%, retail class, 0.66%, institutional class. As of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2025. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. Loomis Sales Investment Grade Bond Fund Risks Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Below investment-grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk, which is the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Loomis sales bond fund risks. Fixed. Income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit. Interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Equity securities are volatile and can decline significantly in response to broad market and economic conditions. The Bloomberg U.S. Government Credit Bond Index is the non-securitized component of the U.S. Aggregate Index and was the first macro index launched by Barclays Capital. The U.S. Government Credit Index includes treasuries, i.e., public obligations of the U.S. Treasury that have remaining maturities of more than one year. Government-related issues i.e., agency, sovereign, supranational, and local authority debt, and corporates. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of October, 2023 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis distribution. LLC is a limited-purpose broker, dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LPR Affiliated, POD 96, September, 2023, Adtrax, 1468933, 34, 1, Expiration Date, January 31, 2024.